today to Acts chapter 4, verses 32. Uh, well, Acts chapter 4, 32, and then we're going to read through 5, 11. Okay, so Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and we're going to go through 5, 11. So, you know, as always, our, our, our goal in preaching, our goal in preaching when we come to the Word is worship, okay? You know, if we, if we leave here today, you know, simply thinking nice thoughts about a speech or, or nice thoughts about what we've heard, then we haven't worshiped. Our goal is worship today, and um, so I want you to leave here today thinking about Jesus. I want you to leave here today thinking about how um, our Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has orchestrated all these things that we read in Scripture and orchestrated our congregation even being here together today. I want you to leave here today thinking about the gospel of Jesus and worshiping. So even as, as we read the Scriptures, may you worship, uh, may you worship um, with, your, with your entire heart, just as we have in singing together. Uh, before we dive into this text, we're about to read it uh, in its entirety. Uh, before we dive into the text, and I, I just want to confess for a moment because uh, I did mention Corey's sermon last week, and um, I just I was specifically convicted uh, by that. I was specifically convicted by uh, his call to hope. If y'all remember, is he kind of ended his sermon last week? Uh, he talked about you know hope is hope is the key to, to all this. And uh, too many times I can read a text like the one we're going to read today, uh, and I can look at it, and I can begin to focus strictly on uh, what I can do to attain what is in this text. Like, I can look at the text, and I can go, like, well, okay, I want to be like that, or I want to do that. You know, like today, um, you know, how can I be bold and proclaim Christ like Peter and John, you know, or, or how can I be radically generous and a son of encouragement like Barnabas that we're going to read about today, or Ananias and Sapphira, how can I avoid that? How can I not do what Ananias and Sapphira uh, have done in this scripture. Um, and the answer is simply, if I'm abiding in Christ, then he accomplishes this already, right? He is my hope, and without him, I don't have any, right? So if we're not careful, we can read passages like today and last week's and come away simply trying to do better, right? Simply trying to just attain to something the apostles did. Or like, man, what a great example that is. We need to try to do that, or we need to try to be like that. Uh, instead of just resting and abiding in Christ. That's our goal, to rest and abide in Christ. So as we read this today, let's resist the urge to do that together, okay? I want to I resist that urge myself. So uh, I know I was very convicted as Corey mentioned that last week. So uh, Acts chapter 4, verses, verse 32 through chapter 5, verse 11. I'm going to read it in its enti- entirety. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. But a man named Ananias, with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit 
and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the lamb for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. The word of the Lord. As we read the text today, we see that um, the church is in its infant stages, right? Uh, the church, just a whole, whole time through the book of Acts, we're looking at the church in its infant stages. And uh, they begin to gain a little momentum for the mission. And uh, as a matter of fact, at the end of this text uh, just, that we just read, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard it. Uh, that's the first time in the book of Acts we see uh, the word church used, or the Greek word ekklesia. All right, so that's the first time in Acts we see this, you know, meaning uh, a gathered community or a fellowship. This is the first time we see that. Uh, They're experiencing all the things that we just professed in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Uh, And uh, the apostles are testifying with great power, with great power to the resurrection of Jesus. And then the purity of the church comes under attack from hypocrisy and a lack of integrity. And we've seen this before in Scripture, right? We see this in the Old Testament. The people of God begin to make a little progress in being his people, and then sin enters the picture in some form or fashion. And then the result is always death, right? We see this in the Old Testament. So all the way back in Leviticus chapter 10, we can go back and look in Leviticus chapter 10. We're not going to turn there right now, but you can check it out this week if you'd like. We've got Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron who offered unauthorized fire, I think it says in some translations, strange fire, uh, before the Lord, before he had, not, that he had not commanded them, and the fire came from the Lord and consumed them. Uh, then in Joshua 7, a uh, very familiar story that we read about Achan, and uh, immediately after Israel had just taken Jericho, they had just marched around Jericho seven times, and they had taken Jericho, and they... Um, uh, he hid some of the devoted things, I believe the Old Testament said, the devoted things. He took some and hid them in his tent and, and buried them. And uh, he stole, he lied, and then what, all of Israel stoned him. And we read about Uzzah in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6 and how they were carrying the ark of the Lord. And they were doing it in a way that the Lord did not command them to do it. And they were using uh, a cart with oxen instead of poles, which he told them to carry it on. 
And then the ark fell. We know the story. Uzzah reached out to try to steady it. Seems like a, a, a reasonable thing to do, right? Uzzah reached out and tried to steady it, and the oxen stumbled, and God struck him dead right there for doing what, you know, they were already using an ark instead of the poles, and, or, or a cart instead of the poles, and um, God struck him dead. So it's evident from the entirety of the scriptures that God takes sin and the purity of his people very, very seriously. Corey's mentioned before that on Tuesday we, uh, we have sort of a sermon chop up with some guys and we, we sit together and we talk about, about the sermon coming up and the text and we, we talk about uh, you know, what we're all seeing from, from the specific scripture and that kind of helps us bounce things off of each other. Are, are we seeing this right? Are we understanding this right? Or, you know, this is kind of what I'm seeing. So we did that this past Tuesday and uh, I asked the question in it because I was really curious. I said, uh, were Ananias and Sapphira believers? Something I've always kind of assumed, maybe, but never, you know, thought about. I said, you know, was, were Ananias and Sapphira believers? And, you know, among us, among our, you know, five or six folks that were sitting around discussing, there was some disagreement. You know, some of us thought maybe they were, and some of us thought uh, that they weren't. Um, so, you know, the text doesn't specifically say, so I wouldn't presume to, you know, about this, but... Uh, I believe they absolutely could be believers. Um, you know, they were a part of the community, right? They were part of the community. Uh, Carlton Weathers, during that time, he asked the question, and I thought this was a real good question. He said, why would God have judged them so harshly if they weren't, if they weren't believers? Why would God have ju judged them so harshly? And I think that's something we have to consider as we look at this passage. Um, unless we're willing to say that anyone who's a believer never commits an act of deceit, Right? Unless we're willing to say that, then I have to think that we have to at least assume that they could be believers. Uh, the desire to look better than you really are, you know, or uh, be considered more generous than, than you are. It's not really uncommon among us, is it, right? Uh, sometimes it's easy to read this and have this self-righteous attitude toward Ananias. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've we've probably all done the same at some point. And the old 16th century proverb kind of comes to mind when I think about this, uh, there but for the grace of God go I, right? Um, you know, when you look at somebody else who's sinning or doing something, and you're like, I don't think I'd ever do that, you know. There but for the grace of God go I. Um, I used to not really understand what that means, but the older I get and the more mature in Christ I get, I think I, I, think I understand it a little bit more. Uh, and the more... Hopefully, the more humble God is making me about myself, um, there before the grace of God go I. Uh, Ananias' death was an act of judgment. And as Peter said in his first epistle, uh, judgment begins with the house of God. Amen? Uh, so, let's look at chapter 5, verse 3. We're going to kind of work backwards a little bit through this text today as we walk through it. So, let's look at chapter 5, um, verse 3, and Peter's response to Ananias. So Peter responds to Ananias. He says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And that, that question like sends shivers like down my spine, you know, like for, for me, like I'm, I'm going like, who could, who could have looked at me and said that, you know, at times in my life? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? 
So make no mistake, this question from Peter doesn't mean that, like, the devil made him do it. I think a lot of times we can look at it and say, well, the devil made me do it. You know, the devil filled my heart. I didn't have a choice. I did, I did what the devil made me do. Now, that's not what it means. Uh, Ananias was absolutely 100% culpable in this act, right? His wife was absolutely 100% culpable in this act. And it reminds me of something that happened recently with my son. Uh, I have a five-year-old son. Uh, most of you know him. Uh, he, you know, I'm trying, he's very headstrong and, and likes to do his own thing, like most five-year-olds do, but I think he's got a little extra bit in him. And uh, so trying my best to, to love him and care for him and uh, do those things, but um, also teach him and uh, make sure that he understands that you know, this is, this is right, this is wrong, and uh, trying to be very clear with him about things. So we were at the pool one day. We, we joined this neighborhood pool that we have, and uh, it was, was uh, the best money we've ever spent joining that pool. It was all, it's awesome. It's great. There's always kids to play with. It's wonderful. We go there, and we hang out a lot in the evenings, and I was, wa- I was watching him one day. Uh, he was doing something with this other boy that I didn't really know, and they were doing something I didn't really want him to do. It wasn't a huge thing, but, like, I think they were splashing somebody, and they didn't want to be splashed, Right. So I told him very simply, I said, son, don't, don't splash them, okay? And they kind of kept doing it, and he was kind of being led by this other guy, you know? And uh, I, said, uh, I said, son, I'm telling you again, don't do it, or I'll make you sit out of the pool, right? And a little punishment, I guess, you know? Um, so he kept doing it and kept doing it. And I looked at him, I said, son, I told you to stop doing it. You kept doing it. Sit out on the side of the pool for five minutes. I was going to make him sit out for five minutes. Now, to a five-year-old, how long is five minutes, right? It's like the longest you could ever possibly sit there, right? So I watched him as he sat there, and I watched him out of the corner of my eye after I already turned. He looked at the other boy, and he said, you made me get in trouble. And like, I lost it, right? <laughs> and I walked over to him, and, and I looked at him square in the eye. I said, son, he didn't make you get in trouble. I said, I told you not to do something. You kept doing it. I said, who made you get in trouble? And he, what, he knew the answer. He said, I did, right? So, I mean, even a five-year-old knows. Like, it was, it was him. You know, he thought it was the other guy. But, I mean, when you really get down to it, no, it was, it was him. Like, it, he was completely 100% responsible. And, you know, when people grow up and they don't, they don't know how to take responsibility for things, it's because they don't understand that fact, right? They're 100% responsible. doesn't matter what anybody else did. I'm responsible for me. I'm responsible for my own actions. So I think about that with, uh, with uh, Ananias. You know, how has Satan filled your heart? Well, Ananias was 100% responsible. The devil did not make him do it. Um, so the purity of the church comes under attack when we practice hypocrisy and we don't pursue integrity, just like um, Ananias and Sapphira did here. So we, you know, when we allow Satan to fill our hearts... So my prayer when I read this is just, God, have mercy. God, have mercy that, you know, keep us from sin and help us rest in this finished work of Christ. Like, God, have mercy on us. There before the grace of God go out. So when I read this, that's what I think about. Verse 11, if you'll see in chapter 5, verse 11, it says that great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So this fear, it wasn't like a terror or it wasn't like panic uh, that we think about when we think about fear. It was this sense of awe and reverence, a sense of awe and reverence that for God. You know, sometimes it's easy to lose this fear for us, right? Uh, our society our today, even the church, can be so familiar with God sometimes, right? Uh, I was praying with someone one time, and I remember uh, 
we started to pray, and like as they started to pray, they, they said like they were like, "Hey God," like <laughs> like that. And look, if hey, if you pray like that in here, I'm, I'm not I'm not dogging on you or anything like that. I'm just saying like it's a little too familiar for me. Okay, like it's just a little too familiar. Um, <laughs> treating God like a pal, I guess, like your buddy, right? Um, we are indeed sons and daughters. I prayed that in my prayer earlier. We are indeed sons and daughters of God. Co-heirs with Jesus. That's incredible. Co-heirs with Jesus. But even sons and daughters know who their daddy is, right? Like, I mean, my son, he, he knows who his daddy is. And, like, you know, I'm his, I am his pal, you know, but, like, he knows I'm his daddy, right? And uh, uh, he should... You know, come to me like that. You know, as a son or, or a daughter, you know, uh, we should have a healthy fear. And like fear, like I said, not terror or panic. That's not what the original Greek term means. Means it's not like terror or panic. It's this awe and reverence. So great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard and heard these things. Awe and reverence for God. So if the purity of the church comes under attack from hypocrisy and sin and lack of integrity, then what preserves and displays? the purity of the church. If it comes under attack this way, then what displays the purity of the church, okay? So like I said, we're working backwards a little bit through this text, but I want us to look at chapter 4, verses 34 through 37, all right? Chapter 4, verses 34 through 37. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any who had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So these verses and the ones that precede them, they sound a whole lot like what we just professed earlier, right? In Acts chapter 2. They sound very, as I read that, that's the first thing that pops out to me. It's like, well, I think we read that earlier in Acts chapter 2. But Luke thought it important enough to write it down pretty much again and tell us that because it was really important. Uh, and it's important to note that this selling of property that we read about uh, and the bringing the proceeds to the apostles, it was not a coerced thing. It was not something that they told them they had to do. Um, but I have to think about the question, like, why... Why did they part with their land and belongings so easily? Like, I mean, why was it so easily for, easy for them to depart with their land and their belongings? Uh, James Boyce, who, if you don't know who James Boyce is, I would encourage you to, to read his stuff. I mean, he's one of my favorite authors. And when I first uh, really began to grow in my relationship with Christ in college, uh, I read a lot of his stuff, and, and God just really used that. Uh, in my life, along with R.C. Sproul and his writings. So uh, James Boyce theorizes that um, the reason that people were parting with their land and their belongings so easily, he says that it's because Jesus told them Jerusalem would be destroyed and they were supposed to flee the city when it happened, right? And go to the hills. And um, so perhaps they were living with this daily reminder that in the background that belongings and stuff and all that stuff doesn't matter, you know? Um, it's all going to be destroyed by fire anyway, right? So let's, let's sell it and let's use that money for, for things that they could really be used for, to take care of other people's needs and things like that. So uh, I thought that was a great, uh, a great theory. Um, so no matter the reason they were selling their belongings or doing, doing these things, we see in these verses that the purity of the church 
is on display through pure generosity, okay? So the purity of the church, contrasted against the way that it's coming under attack by Ananias and Sapphira, it's on, on display through pure generosity. And we have an example of this generosity in a man named Joseph. And the apostles called him Barnabas because that means son of encouragement, which he was. I mean, that, that's what he was, so that's why they called him Barnabas. Uh, this is the first place that Barnabas shows up in Scripture. We see him in many, many more times in Acts. Um, this is the same Barnabas that later in the book of Acts introduced Paul to the apostles, brought Paul to the apostles. <laughs> Can you imagine? I, I, I love to think about that that particular um, interaction, you know, Barnabas brings Paul to the apostles, and, hey, this is Saul. <laughs> They're like, I know who he is. <laughs> Why is he here, you know? Um, this is a man who, who killed, uh, killed Christians, right? I can't imagine that, that. So Barnabas was the man who brought him to the apostles. Has a lot of, uh, a lot of um, responsibility for, for Paul in the, in the scriptures. So uh, St. Barnabas who brought, um, or that uh, the Jerusalem church, sent to Antioch, so the Jerusalem church sent him to Antioch, and that same Barnabas went and found Paul and brought him to Antioch, and they labored together for, for a year, uh, and then he accompanied Paul on many missionary journeys, okay, so this is the same Barnabas, first time he shows up in scripture right here, so we're going to see as we go through the book of Acts many more times uh, that Barnabas is here, so Barnabas sounds like a man that I would like to hang around, uh, you know those people, right? Uh, the, he says he was a Levite. So what do we know about Levites? He says he was a Levite. Levites sang in the temple. Um, they were, I'd say they were the worship leaders <laughs> in, the, in the temple. Levites were, right? Um, they did construction and maintenance on the temple. They served as guards. And uh, it even says um, that they maintained cities of refuge. And I thought that was a great, uh, great point um, about Levites. They maintained these cities of refuge for people because they were encouragers. They were, they were people who... Uh, who wanted, you know, people to, to be able to, to take refuge, you know. Um, so you know people like this who are just, who love people so deeply and who are so invested in people's lives that, that they do all these things, you know. They're going to be servants. Um, they're going to, you know, try to bring people to God, you know. They're going to try to uh, do all they can to make a path for people to get to God. And um, I just think about him bringing uh, Saul to the apostles, you know, he, he was the instrument God used to bring him and, and say, hey, this, God has worked in this man's life, he's met Jesus, he is not going to kill any of you guys, I promise, okay, so he's, he's brought uh, uh, Saul to them. Uh, so, you know, all those things sound about right for a son of encouragement, right? Uh, it would be easy to sermonize here, okay, which is, it's, it's a, it's an easy thing to do and say like, Guys, we need, to be, we need to try to be like Barnabas, okay? We need to do everything we, can, we need to do to try to be like Barnabas. But, um, but do you see the peril in that? Like saying, like, we need to try to be like Barnabas because that's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira were doing, like, in the Scripture. That's exactly what they were trying to do. Their desire was not to please God, but instead to be recognized as generous among everyone. And that's, that's definitely a thing for us. We can read that and go, like, man, I want to... I want to be like that. I want to be like Barnabas. I want to be seen as a son of encouragement. So there's great peril in that to say, let's try to do that, to please men instead of God, right? What we instead have to do is cry out to God to pierce our hearts so deeply 
God pierce our hearts so deeply that our motive in generosity is nothing more than to please him, right? It's not to, to try to be generous, but it's just to please him. And through that, our generosity would be so pure that the purity of the church would be preserved and on display for the entire world to see. Now, I've said before that Grace Fellowship, I think, is the most generous bunch of people that I have ever known. And everybody who's been a recipient of that in here say amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, I, I see this at work among you. No one's looking for recognition around here. Uh, my family has been a recipient already of this generosity, and no one's looking for fame. Only that the name of Jesus be honored and that the purity of the church be on display. So my prayer is that would continue to be so among us. So we've seen in our text today how the purity of the church comes under attack from sin and hypocrisy, lack of integrity, through Ananias and Sapphira's act. And we've seen how the purity of the church is put on display. It's put on display for, uh, for everybody to see through pure generosity, specifically these an- examples of Barnabas. So as we close today, I want to look at how the purity of the church is preserved. Okay, So we've seen how it comes under attack. We've seen how it's put on display. And I want to look right here as we close, at how it's preserved. And that is simply through the power of the pure gospel. So I want us to look at verses 32 and 33. Like I said, we're working backwards, so we're now at the beginning of the text that we started at. 32 and 33. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power... The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Uh, Church, when when Luke says that they were one in heart and soul, can't you see, like, this is the answer to Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Like, if you go back to John chapter 17, and you read all the things that Jesus was praying for his church, for his people, before he was crucified. He's praying all these things. Like, what we're reading here is the, it's the answer to that. Like, everything Jesus prayed came true. He prayed these things, and God answered these prayers. They were one in heart and soul. You know, he said, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. So, Grace Fellowship, if, if we're... If we're one in heart and soul, then the gospel of Jesus is going to be, compl- uh, going to be proclaimed. It's going to be. Uh, and the bride of Christ, the purity of the bride of Christ, will be preserved. If we are one in heart and soul, unity, unity of, of the Spirit, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen. Like, it's not something that just, that just happens. We pray for it. We, we ask God for it. And it has to be cultivated. Uh, I've prayed numerous times since... Uh, since the pandemic began and since we've been dealing with COVID, like numerous times for the unity of our church, the unity of the spirit, especially as we're scattered, especially as many of us are, are, are not here right now. You know, people are on vacation this week, but even, you know, week to week, there's many people who are staying away for, for, you know, health reasons and things like that. And we understand that. Um, But we are scattered more. People are watching online today. Uh, But it's important to pray, continually pray and continually ask that the unity of our church and the unity of our body would be preserved. 
Um, it doesn't just happen. It has to be cultivated. It has to be prayed for, cried out to. It has to be pursued, you know. And it's hard to pursue it in a pandemic. It's hard to pursue, pursue unity, right? When we're not supposed to hang around each other a lot. We're not supposed to be, you know, near each other a lot. But we have great technology that allows us to send texts and make calls and things like that and do FaceTime. And thank goodness for that. That's great. So especially in these times that we're in, we're more and more scattered. We have to pursue. We have to cultivate this unity. But if we're one in heart and soul, like the scriptures say right there, if we're one in heart and soul, then we're going to have everything in common. We're going to have everything in common, and we're going to give testimony to the resurrection of Christ with great power, as it says the apostles did. We're going to. If we're one in heart and soul, that's going to happen. And as the scriptures say, and great grace will be upon us all. So it would be a big understatement for me to say that this year, 2020, so far, has been hard, right? Like if I said, it's been a hard year, I mean, everybody's going, well, that's, that's a bit of an understatement, Adam. Uh, it feels like it to me. It's, it's been the hardest year of my life already, okay? Uh, and we're, we're half done, right? You know, COVID-19, it's, it's wreaked, wreaked havoc, not just in the sickness, right? Not just in the fact that people are getting sick from it, but you know, what it's done to our economy and um, what it's exposed about us as a, society, as a society and about our government and about the darkness of the human heart. It's exposed a lot of that, right? Um, it's been harder than ever to maintain unity among the body of Christ. Not just in our physical proximity like we talked about, but, you know, the 24-hour news cycle, what social media does to us. It's constantly trying to divide and conquer us, divide and conquer us, right? It's hard. And it puts us in categories and makes us look at each other as like opinions and political views and things like that. Much le- not, not people, much less brothers and sisters in Christ as we're supposed to be. So my encouragement today to you as we close it's just to continue to pray for our unity. Continue to, to ask God for it. Pursue it with everything you have. May we be one in heart and soul, as the, as the scriptures say here. We have to pray for it. Continue to ask God for it. So that the pure gospel of Jesus will continue to go forth in power. So as we looked at the scriptures today, we saw how the purity of the church came under attack from hypocrisy and for sin. And uh, we saw how, how the, um, the purity of the church is on display through, uh, through uh, encouragement, through generosity. And then, um, you know, how, how is it preserved? Through the gospel. How is, how is the, the purity of the church preserved? Through the gospel of Jesus and our unity, one in heart and soul, so we can continue to testify to the resurrection with great power today. Church, would you pray with me? Father, everything that we have read in your scriptures today, our prayer is that um, we would not try to attain to it, not try to accomplish it, but God, that we would simply run to Jesus and we would simply cry out to you and ask that you would do these things in our heart that you 
would, um, first of all, convict us of sin. Father, as I said, you know, as I read those verses about Ananias and Sapphira, many times chills run up and down my spine. Because I know that many times in my life I have been a hypocrite. And many times in my life I have allowed Satan to fill my heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. It's amazing that you haven't struck me dead. And I, I may want to just feel better about it, but I would, I, I would think that many people in this congregation, probably all of us, have felt the same way. So, Father, ultimately, help us repent of sin, kill sin, lest it be killing us at all costs. Father, may we run from sin and run to Jesus so that the purity of your church is preserved, so that the purity of your church is on display for all the world to see, so that your gospel, your pure gospel, would be preached in all the world, in all nations, and to all people, so that then the end will come. Father, we are grateful for your word today and how it transforms us and how it changes us from the inside out. Something only your word can do. So as the word of God has been preached today, as the word of God has been interacted with today, Father, we pray for heart change. We pray for transformation in our hearts that only you can do. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.